Welcome to Modern Aesthetics, the podcast. Founded in 1992, Face to Face is a humanitarian and educational surgical exchange program sponsored by the Educational and Research Foundation for the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. Both in the United States and abroad, AAF PRS surgeons and other medical professionals provide complementary care to those who suffer from facial deformities caused by birth or trauma. To date, it is estimated that face-to-face volunteers have helped over 1,000 people worldwide. Face-to-face also has initiatives to help victims of domestic violence and also to help soldiers and veterans of war. We treated 34 patients. There were multiple procedures that we did, but 34 patients that uh, we treated uh, during the course of that time. Uh, But really the goal here is that, you know, We can help individual patients, but if we can transfer our knowledge to uh, our Ukrainian uh, colleagues, then they can continue the work, uh, you know, in terms of helping, uh, because there's so many people who obviously will need the help uh, with that ongoing conflict. That's Dr. Minaj Abraham, chair of the Face-to-Face Committee, discussing a recent medical mission trip with face-to-face volunteers. An interdisciplinary medical team of 16, including six AAFPRS facial plastic and reconstructive surgeon members, traveled to Ukraine to assist those with facial injuries suffered because of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. One of our members, John Frodel, Dr. Frodel, who's uh, out in uh, Pennsylvania, had reached out. He had been involved uh, with these medical missions to uh, Croatia uh, back in the day uh, with the Balkan Wars there, uh, and uh, they had really made a big impact um, there, and uh, he had the idea of maybe we could do something with Ukraine, uh, and so he reached out to Dr. Moss, Corey Moss, who's the president of our Facial Plastics Academy, who then reached out to me as chair of the face-to-face committee, uh, and we started planning. This was several months ago. You know, we went through uh, many, many meetings uh, to set this up. Initially, we weren't sure if we could actually get into Ukraine because obviously it's an active conflict zone. Uh, and uh, we were talking about maybe adjacent countries like Poland and Romania, uh, where it would be safe. Uh, and then through this committee process, uh, we got a, a number of surgeons who were really interested in helping, a number of them, by the way, of Ukrainian background, uh, who were really, really interested in, in, in anything that we could do to help um, you know, the, the injured in Ukraine. Uh, and uh, so we then made contact with a Ukrainian aid organization called Rosim. Uh, it's actually the third largest Ukrainian aid organization based here in the United States. Uh, and they were able to connect us with people um, on the ground in Ukraine. Um, specifically, um, we made contact with uh, Dr. Ivanka uh, Nibor, uh, who is um, currently in the United States. She's a Ukrainian trained train physician uh, who set up this organization called Ingenious, uh, which uh, has the goal of helping uh, you know, educate people in Ukraine, um, the medical staff in Ukraine. Uh, and so through that connection, over the course of a few months, uh, we actually um, heard that it was, uh, uh, we could make a trip into Ukraine in a safe fashion. Um, uh, and then uh, that's how the ball got rolling. And then, you know, again, once we established that we could actually travel into Ukraine and help people with facial injuries and provide our expertise, then um, we started to consolidate a team um, and ultimately ended up with uh, 15 uh, team members. Um, about uh, uh, you know, five of them were uh, facial plastic surgeons, but we also had a neurosurgeon, 
Uh, Maria Soroka, who's one of the founders of Rosm, was one of our administrators. Dr. Niebuhr, I mentioned, uh, you know, with Ingenious, uh, you know, she was really the linchpin uh, connecting us to our Ukrainian uh, counterparts uh, at the hospital. Uh, and um, uh, oculoplastic surgeon, um, you know, so we, we had really all of the expertise that we needed uh, to take care of uh, injuries of the head and neck. Uh, neurologist uh, Dr. Glenn Castaneda joined us as well, uh, and um, and nurses and administrators as well. So to a total of 15 team members, uh, and then we partnered with obviously the people on the ground in Ukraine uh, at the hospital, the regional hospital of Ivano Frankivsk. Uh, Dr. Natalia Komashko uh, is the uh, uh, e the ENT. Um, you know the, the, the head and neck surgeon there, uh, who invited us invited us to to to, uh, to that facility, uh, and we had the um, you know, invitation of the Ukraine Ministry of Health as well. Once the team was in place, it was time to work out the logistics of traveling into an active conflict area and keeping everyone safe. Initially, obviously, the concern was just to make sure that we would be in a safe uh, place. Uh, if you recall, this is a time when they were having issues with the nuclear reactor there, and we were concerned about, you know, if there would be uh, you know, some sort of issue with that and radiation leaks and things like that. So we, we really did want to pick uh, a site that would be relatively safe. So we picked Ivano Frankivsk, which is relatively close to the Polish border. Um, and then the logistics, uh, you're right, it was a lot of coordination. Uh, between us and our Ukrainian colleagues. Um, so we flew into Krakow, Poland, uh, and then it was a, a bus ride from, uh, you, you can't fly into Ukraine, obviously, because it's not safe. Um, uh, the, the airspace is closed. Uh, and so we, we drove from uh, a hotel in Krakow uh, to the Ukrainian uh, border, which was about a five or six hour drive. Um, and then at the border, uh, you know, th their trucks, uh, cars lined up for, for miles trying to get through the border uh, both ways, um, which is understandable again, you know, because obviously there it's, it's a conflict zone. Um, so with the help of our Ukrainian colleagues, the Ukrainian Ministry of Health, they had arranged a, a green corridor for us, uh, which still meant it took a couple of hours to get through, but uh, it was expedited. Um, and then there was a, another long uh, bus ride from uh, from the border to a, a town called Lviv, um, where um, actually some of our uh, team members had family uh, in uh, or, or friends uh, in Lviv, and so uh, we, we made a pit stop there for uh, for lunch, uh, and then finally uh, got to um, a hotel in Ivano Frankivsk uh, at at the very end of the day. So you know it was about a twelve hour journey. Um, from, from Krakow, you know, obviously we flew internationally to get into Krakow uh, the day before. Um, and, you know, it, it was interesting because when you're driving through, obviously there are these military um, checkpoints at the border. And then, um, you know, there's these barriers that are set up at the intersections, um, uh, these metal anti-tank contraptions called hedgehogs and, um, uh, you know, sandbags and other things around uh, buildings. So, so you are aware, even though this was on the kind of the safer side, uh, you know, on the, on the Western side of, of Ukraine, you're still aware that the country uh, is at war. Um, you know, we would get these text alerts on our phone of extreme emergency 
which, you know, in Ukrainian, so you didn't know exactly what that meant. But, um, you know, again, it related to missiles and other things that were being fired. Um, again, you know, we took every precaution uh, to make sure if we needed to evacuate, we could quickly, uh, but uh, it was clearly a, a country in conflict, um, uh, e even, even in, in, the, in the relatively safe areas. Getting to their destination was only the beginning. The real work began when the volunteers arrived in Ukraine and met the patients and their Ukrainian colleagues. The team spent a week in Ukraine treating patients injured in the conflict, some requiring complicated 10 to 12 hour long surgeries. We got there on a Friday night. The next day, um, we had a chance to meet the patients. Uh, you know, we had pre-screened uh, all of these patients, you know, complex facial injuries. We were planning some, you know, very complicated uh, reconstructive procedures. So uh, Dr. Niebuhr's organization, again, was really critical to that. She had, um, you know, using her contacts in Ukraine, um, had these patients evaluated. So we were able to uh, online uh, through this database that the Facial Plastics Academy has set up. It's called the Connect system. We were able to review CT scans and photographs and histories, uh, even video of these patients. And then we were planning um, you know, some reconstructions uh, using a kind of state-of-the-art uh, 3D printed implants, for instance, to, to reconstruct missing parts of the facial skeleton. So we were able to do a lot, a lot of that planning in advance, but we hadn't really met these patients face-to-face. -face. So that was the opportunity when we got there um, on uh, that Saturday morning to actually meet these patients and talk to them about their procedures, adjust the plan as needed. Uh, and then we started to operate. And, you know, again, it was really uh, pretty intense because, um, again, some of these procedures very complicated all day, you know, 10, 12 hour procedures, um, craniofacial stuff. Uh, we did uh, microvascular um, uh, tissue transplants, essentially. So for missing parts of the jaw, we can take the bone from the leg and reattach it to blood vessels in the, in, in the, in the head and neck uh, to reconstruct jaws. So I, those procedures, again, are, are pretty long and complex. Um, took a lot, lot of logistical planning to get all of that set up. Um, and uh, so, so we would get to the hospital. So, uh, you know, after Saturday, we had a little break on Sunday to set up for our cases uh, on uh, for the rest of the week. But uh, Monday through uh, Thursday, you know, we would get to the hospital and you know, wake up at five, six o'clock, get to the hospital by seven or eight. And then we wouldn't leave the hospital till you know, 10 sometimes later, 11 or 12, there's a curfew you have to get, get done by 11 uh, and to the uh, back to the hotel because uh, they shut everything down. Uh, but there were a couple of nights that we actually were there a little past curfew. Um, and so, uh, you know, really pretty intense uh, work. The team's work didn't stop with patient care. They were also there to collaborate with and train physicians in Ukraine so they can perform these kind of surgeries for other patients in need. There was this um, conference that they had set up uh, with over 130 uh, uh, Ukrainian medical personnel from all over Ukraine who had come to the hospital uh, and the procedures were live streamed from the operating room. So while we were operating, we were mic'd up. We could describe what we were doing um, and they could ask us questions. So it was really uh, a very educational, very interactive um, you know, uh, collaboration with our Ukrainian colleagues. Clearly, we, we helped a lot of patients. We did, uh, you know, 34, uh, uh, you know, we treated 34 patients. There were multiple procedures that we did, but 34 patients that uh, we treated uh, during the course of that time. Uh, but really the goal here is that, you know, 
we can help individual patients, but if we can transfer our knowledge to uh, our Ukrainian uh, colleagues, then they can continue the work, um, you know, in terms of helping, because um, there's so many people who obviously will need the help uh, with that ongoing conflict. Uh, and so, you know, it's the idea of you can either give, uh, you know, a person a fish or you can teach them how to fish. It really is exponentially more beneficial to um, have them acquire the skills so that they can take care of these patients. And we envision this collaboration continuum. So we'll, we'll certainly plan on returning to Ukraine. But in the meantime, you know, we're still in contact with our colleagues in terms of post-operative care on these patients and uh, talking about how to take care of additional patients going forward. There are so many who have been injured in this conflict. And as it continues, Dr. Abraham notes, so many more may suffer both physical and emotional injuries, including those actively involved in the conflict and civilians. So that we, we did definitely treat a lot of patients. Obviously, a lot of the war injured are people who are actively in, uh, involved in conflict. But unfortunately, you know, there's, there's been a lot of atrocities committed uh, in Ukraine. And so there's, a, you know, I'd say at least a half of the population were, were civilians, um, you know, even children uh, affected by the conflict. And, um, and it's, it's really, um, it's, it, it's really sad when you think about it. So uh, there's a story, for instance, of this uh, patient uh, from, from Buka, uh, which is that uh, town close to Kiev. If you remember during the initial um, onslaught, you know, they came into Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, and then um, there were a lot of atrocities committed uh, during that time. So she, she tells a story of uh, being stopped by Russian soldiers. She was with her son. Uh, and uh, and they were shot. Uh, you know, she was shot. Uh, I believe in the arm initially. Um, her son was shot in the leg. And she was trying to help her son, um, and and then they shot her in the face, um, and then and and then left her to die essentially um, on the roadside. And she talks about you know just being lucky to survive. Um, uh, you know, losing a lot of blood, and, and you know again with this horrific facial injury. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, was able to get to a safe place, uh, but she was missing, you know, the a part of her jaw from that from that uh, gunshot wound to her face. So, um, you know, again, and there, there were a lot of stories like that. There, um, uh, this young man uh, with uh, really a horrific injury of, uh, you know, burn to his face, uh, missing a lot of the, the scalp, uh, skin, and hair. Um, you know, just recently, he had not been able to get in touch with his parents, who were um in in the eastern part of ukraine uh, in the part that's was actually recently uh, annexed uh, by russia uh, and uh just recently liberated by the ukrainian forces so uh, it's been seven months uh, since he was able to uh contact with his parents and finally he was able to actually uh, after we left after this liberation of that uh, territory he was able to get in touch with his parents again uh and uh, we we did i did a procedure called a yuri flap where we transferred tissue from, you know, hair bearing skin, essentially from the back of his head to the front to give him, you know, hairline again. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, it was really gratifying that we were able to help these patients. But, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the stories, unfortunately, are very tragic. You know, there, there were tears, there were hugs, you know, it, it, it was really emotional in that, in that level. Um, Razam, by the way, that aid organization, and Maria Soroka, um, they are setting up um, mental health counseling uh, throughout the country, uh, and I think that's that will really be necessary because there's a lot of uh, you know uh, post-traumatic stress um, for for everyone involved, uh, and uh, certainly the patients. And so uh, that's clearly one of the things that uh, will will be needed going forward.
Face-to-face volunteers continue to be involved in post-operative care and patient management as well. This trip required so much collaboration, and Dr. Abraham credits the volunteers from Face-to-Face, as well as from so many other organizations, with making this medical mission a success. Yes, the Ukrainian doctors there are are excellent. Um, You know, again, um, some of the skill set that we're bringing along, the expertise they don't necessarily have, especially in some of the, the, you know, the smaller um, towns uh, and cities, but um, in practice, they're excellent clinicians. So they're certainly able to take care uh, of a lot of these things themselves. Uh, And so the post-operative care, we've just been coordinating through them. Um, Again, through WhatsApp, you know, we we can talk to them uh, and, uh, you know, exchange photographs and um, uh, and texts, obviously, to manage uh, patient care issues. Uh, clearly, I, I don't speak Ukrainian, so I, I don't know there, if there would be a lot of utility for me to actually be talking to these patients, especially since, um, you know, everybody's doing great and, and healing up well. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, great to be able to follow their progress and, and make sure that they're healing uh, well uh, and arrange for anything additional that they may need. We're all volunteer, uh, and, and I do really want to acknowledge that fact because people are taking time out of their busy schedules, uh, you know, for uh, essentially a couple of weeks uh, and, and losing uh, revenue, obviously, uh, that uh, and, and time away from family and, and uh, you know, vacation time, things like that as well. So it really is a personal sacrifice that each team, team member makes. Uh, but you're right, it's, it's also a financial commitment. So um, we each paid for our airfare. Uh, to get to Ukraine um, now, but there were a lot of other pieces to this. You can't run a mission like this uh, and completely self-fund. So we were able to, through the Facial Plastics Academy, um, raise a significant amount of funds uh, through donations. Uh, I, my, an organization that I work with, Healing the Children Northeast, two wonderful nurses who were with us, uh, Debbie Fritz and Sue Katijan, um, you know, they, they raised a lot of money. Um, Susan raised over $60,000 uh, through Healing the Children for this mission. Uh, and that was critical for all of the supplies and medications, uh, surgical equipment, uh, instruments that we needed. Um, and, and then uh, clearly, I, I, you know, big shout out to Razum. Uh, Razum is the, uh, again, that aid organization that Maria Soroka set up. Uh, her husband's a neurosurgeon. She, he's traveled extensively, uh, you know, and collaborated in Ukraine as well. He was on this trip, and so was she as an administrator. They arranged all of the logistics. So our hotel stays, uh, the travel that you know I mentioned um, uh, with the bus, uh, getting us back and forth, uh, our meals. Um, so all of those were arranged through Rosin. So it really was uh, you know, a partnership ingenious, again, Ivanka, Dr. Ivanka Niebuhr's uh, organization in terms of patient recruitment. And then clearly at the hospital, uh, you know, they, uh, they have set up this conference called Storts, uh, which is this uh, endoscopic company, uh, you know, provided all the video and um, the uh, uh, live streaming uh, for educational content. Um, and, you know, they, they shut down the hospital for that week, uh, you know, for us to, to do these cases um, in the ENT department. So, um, you know, again, uh, really a, a complete complete collaboration it could not have been done without everybody coming together. With so many more people needing help, there have been talks of another trip. In addition to volunteering to make the trip, there are so many ways to support face-to-face in its mission. 
So lots of ways to be involved. Uh, clearly, if you want to have an active role, we've set up this uh, Ukraine task force within the Facial Plastics Academy. Uh, Karen Sloat is our administrator um, and, and just reach out to the Facial Plastics Academy uh, and uh, she can get you plugged in. Uh, that would that would be, uh, you know, again, uh, we're certainly planning on additional collaboration, additional trips. Uh, so there's there's uh, lots of uh, need uh, to, to um, you know, continue what we've we started. Uh, and then, you know, if you can't go, uh, clearly financial support is always uh, necessary uh, for, for things like this to work and to succeed. Uh, and again, through the facial plastics um, academy on the website, if you go to um, uh, afbrs.org and you go to the humanitarian section, there's a, a section for Ukraine where you can uh, make you know, monetary contributions. So uh, every little bit helps. And uh, again, um, uh, you know, I, I highly encourage everybody to get involved. The whole experience was um, surreal, really. Uh, you, know, you know, when we got to the hospital, the first thing that they do is they take you to the basement to their bomb shelter <laughs> to, to show you what the bomb shelter is. But then they say, and you know, we actually acknowledge this: that well, what happens if we're in the middle of an operation? Are we all going to just leave the patient there and run down to the to the bomb shelter? That's not going to happen. And so that that did happen, by the way, and a, a, a couple of times. The air raid sirens would go off and. You know, you all look at each other, you know, and uh, but then you would continue because, uh, you know, you're not going to leave the patient on the table and, and run, down, run down to the shelter. So, um, it, I, you know, I, I, thankfully, it was safe. I, I don't think we ever felt unsafe aside from 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 things like that happening. Um, and I, like I said, there was constant reminders of, of, the, of the war. When we crossed the border, there were this, this young group of Ukrainian soldiers who were going the other way to train in Europe. And so that was just a reminder of, you know, how, how close that conflict is and, you know, sacrifices the, these young men are making. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it was definitely surreal, uh, different from, uh, you know, a lot of the medical missions that I've participated in. Um, but again, really the bottom line, incredibly gratifying in terms of being able to take care of these pe people who, who really would otherwise not have access to that skill set that we brought, brought along with us. Uh, and um, as I said, again, there's a lot of needs. So we need to, we certainly need to continue this collaboration. So I really, I, I do want to mention kind of the whole bonding uh, effect that, that you have on, on a trip like this. You know, it's really emotionally uh, a lot to go through. And so um, I think as a team, we really bonded. Um, and, uh, you know, all, all of our surgeons, so I, I do want to give a shout out. Uh, to um, you know, our team members. So, uh, Dr. John Frodel uh, from from Geisinger in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, he, again, he's the one who initiated this effort. Uh, Dr. Scott Tatum was up in Syracuse, uh, craniofacial surgeon there, uh, and uh, Dr. Greg Maskovich uh, down in, in New York City um, uh, with with Matt Sinai, his his uh, partner, uh, a um, oculoplastic surgeon, Dr. Uh, Bruce Moskovitz. Uh, we had um, uh, Luke uh, Tomitz, a neurosurgeon, uh, married to Maria R R uh, Soroka from Rosam. Uh, we had Dr. Ivanka Niebuhr. Um, we had the head and neck surgeons who partnered with us, Dr. Augustine Moscatello uh, from the Westchester Medical Center. Uh, obviously, myself, um, uh, uh, another you know, uh, surgeon who was born in uh, Ukraine, uh, Dr. Boris Chernoblovsky, who's also a uh, uh, head and neck surgeon uh, down in the city. Uh, that uh, um, a neurologist, uh, Dr. Glenn Castaneda from, from, from my area up here, the, the, the two nurses, uh, Debbie Fritz uh, and Sue Katijan from Healing the Children. We also had a surgical technician 
works with Dr. Um, Moskowitz and Dr. Moskowitz, uh, Lindsay, Lindsay uh, Norito. Um, uh, so really we had a, a great team. Uh, there was another, uh, uh, a, couple, a couple of other um, uh, Rosin uh, members, uh, Oksana Fanchuk who was there as well, uh, coordinating logistics. Uh, total team effort. And, you know, we spent a lot of time together on that bus ride, 12 hours back and forth. It, was, it took even longer on the way back. We were stuck on the border, didn't get crossed till uh, past midnight, uh, didn't get into the crack out till, you know, three or four o'clock. And people had flights uh, the next morning at six, so they had to go directly to the airport. Uh, and so they people traveled 48 hours, uh, you know, it's a, a truly a, a bonding experience. It's such a great group of people. Um, and, uh, you know, that's really what makes me want to keep doing this kind of work because we're so passionate about helping. Uh, and it's always such a bonding experience when you're uh, with like-minded people uh, doing this kind of work. The other thing to keep in mind is, uh, you know, there's no, no end in sight, unfortunately. And each day that goes by, there's more and more people suffering the same fate, you know, with injuries. Uh, and so there, there will be a lot of need. Uh, and so efforts like this to collaborate and really help out, uh, you know, the patients, uh, I think are critical. To learn more about how to get involved with face-to-face, -face, visit aafprs.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of Modern Aesthetics, the podcast. Listen to future episodes at modernaesthetics.com or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.